The Blueprint 1543 team finished 18 months of qualitative research, summarily called In Search of Theological Scientists, or ISOTs, a planning grant. Five key strategies and 20 specific example projects emerged, all with the goal of activating more progress in a science-engaged theology. This four-part series of podcasts highlights some of the important reflections from leaders in science-engaged theology who we interviewed along the way. We hope you'll enjoy these conversations and get involved. So now let's get into talking about the five strategies for nurturing science-engaged theology. I'll just list them off right now. One, inspire integrative work. Two, build trust. Three, include scientists and theologians. Four, get specific. Five, create opportunities for constructive collaboration. Now, these strategies are somewhat overlapping and interconnected, but they help draw out distinct factors that drive success. The first one we'll emphasize is inspire integrative work. On that, here's more from Justin Barrett. When we talk about inspiring integrative work, we mean how can we inspire people to recognize that the work they're doing as a scientist has connections to the questions that are being raised by theologians. And so theological inquiry can be both a resource and an inspiration to doing science. Uh, especially in the human sciences. And likewise, the human sciences have something to contribute to theological inquiry. And so we shouldn't see these domains as entirely separate from each other, but as uh, mutually benefiting each other. That inquiry in the human sciences and inquiry in theology can can partner together, can mutually reinforce and support each other. You may have already guessed that Christians working in science fields have more of an intrinsic motivation to reflect on how theology can fuel or motivate their empirical work. But in our interviews, we found that this concept was not exclusively important to religious scientists. In fact, we interviewed two non-religious scientists who've become enthusiastic about working with theologians once they understood how theological interests overlap with some of their own questions. One even said that 80% of his research ideas come from theology now. Once the connections were made, robust research programs grew. Let's hear more from Justin on that. By suggesting that we want to inspire integration, it's not just to say that the doing of psychological or human scientific study can benefit and be benefited by uh, theological inquiry, because there is an asymmetry in the relationship between these areas. Theology is not the same kind of thing as psychology is. And indeed, uh, our theology undergirds or gives foundational support to why we even do psychology in the first place, or why we do medicine in the first place, or why we do uh, genetics or any area of human science. And so becoming an integrated human scientist means in part understanding how my personal theology fits with, motivates, guides, steers, and sort of uh, enriches my work as a scientist. So not only do we want to 
inspire the integration on a theoretical level. We want to inspire integration on a personal level. Now today, to bring some of these ISOTS concepts to life, we're going to hear a conversation with a theologian at the University of Leeds and a good friend of ours, Joanna Leitenhog. I love talking to Joanna. She always has great insights. And in this conversation, she gets pretty honest about the challenges she's had bringing theologians and science folks together on the topic of human communication, language, speech. Um, She's been really involved in this area, especially as it relates to neurodivergent populations and autism. I think you'll find my conversation with her really helpful. She gets really honest about the fact that a lot of people don't even know what a theologian is. So how do you get around that? How do you start to educate people about what academic theology is and how it could be relevant to their work? Joanna's got some really great thoughts on that. The one thing I noticed really recently is how much a scientist who I felt we were struggling to connect and see how our projects would fit together, both had great separate projects, couldn't see the points of connection, was when I actually brought in uh, another humanities discipline. So I asked them how historians had impacted their work, at which point they lit up. And they just gushed about the goods that history has brought to their their work as a psychologist. And I think for some psychologists, that might be philosophy, like philosophy of psychology or other aspects of philosophy. And most of my colleagues in the humanities don't know what a theologian is. So when you say to a psychologist, oh, I'm kind of like a historian, except I have this particular interest in the history of Christianity or the history of intellectual history of Christianity or church history, whatever, or I'm kind of like a philosopher, but I'm just particularly interested in religious questions around philosophy. There's a lot more traction already. And a lot of the suspicions about fundamentalism or or just ignorance, just we don't know what you do. So how can I connect with it? Go away quite quickly. I think that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a really helpful way to get around that problem. (laughs) I think that's really great that you just named that. Like most people don't know what a theologian is. What kind of personal anecdotes do you have or, um, experience do you have working with a scientist on a project? Like what, what kind of experiences sort of characterize that relationship and that engagement? What I've done a lot of so far is coordinate getting scientists and theologians together. I'm actually just at the beginning of starting a big project of my own where I'll work in a sustained way on a shared question or couple of questions with a psychologist. So most of my observations come from really the beginning, the planning stages, and as much from other people's experiences as mine. But what I've really noticed happen a couple of times is when you have the initial meeting with the psychologists and the theologian, And in the second meeting, when people are feeling a bit more comfortable, the psychologists say things like, I've just really realized that theologians are are like really smart, that you have this like intellectual capacity to draw loads of different things together, that you ask interesting questions, that you actually know loads of things about loads of different types of literature. And one recently said like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I certainly wasn't expecting you all to be as intellectually formidable as you are. It's like such a backhanded compliment, but I've heard it more than once. And 
that that's a fun realization. I can flip it and talk about something that surprises the theologians often I've noticed about psychologists and some scientists more broadly, which is how agnostic they can often be about even their own work, about what they know or what we what scientists science can claim to know about their given field. So um, about language or about autism or about trauma or about whatever it is, um, theologians often like, what is true? <laughs> and the psychologist is like, well, I've been doing these studies that suggest this kind of thing, but we don't really know. And it's certainly not the big what is true question that the theologian was asking. I think that's really quite difficult for the theologian a little for a little bit of time, but I think creates a great amount of opportunity to suggest there's much more flexibility and equality in this interdisciplinary relationship than many people assume going in. That there can be more playfulness because it's it's not just one person giving truth to another person, which it would be if both both teams were like, this is the truth. But it's not often like that. Yeah, that's helpful. At this point, you must know a lot of the autism researchers in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's more oh, oh, global autism research is like really big in the UK. Does that make sense? The UK is like a leader in it and, and the US as well, but the US is just bigger as well. <laughs> but uh, which is to say, I really don't feel like I know them all because there are like, there are so many even, but the psychologists I do work with, I say like, Oh, do you know this one that someone else I know? And they're like, oh, no, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, but they're like really big deal. You know, so I just think it's actually a huge area. The biggest thing I see happening is surprise, right? The, the psychologists are surprised that the theologians already know something about their field or the theologians are surprised that the uh, psychologists claim to know a lot less than we think they will or um, know something about our field that we didn't expect them to, right? So that is that almost always strikes me is the amount of surprise and surprise is so healthy right surprise begets intellectual curiosity and um fun and like you know surprise is one of the chief tools of a comedian right so uh, i do think the interactions i've seen again and again is all these like boxes of surprise being opened as it were intellectually so as someone who's facilitated putting pairs together of these theologians or philosophers with scientists as someone, as an outside observer, what are some of the things you've noticed? Yeah, so I've put a psychologist and a theologian together in pairs, and there are six pairs. And I have often found that the pairs can't see really how their two projects are going to connect, but the wider team can see it and um, I often feel I can see it for other people, like so clearly, like you guys are saying like exactly the same thing. Or even if you're taking completely different routes, the place you want to get to is basically the same place. So I do think it can help to step back and to build a larger team. Um, and maybe the one-on-one -on -one isn't always going to be as fruitful or as fun. Cool. I mean, do you want to, are there any like content related specific ways you want to talk about how your, your thinking has been enriched, your theology has been enriched? Huh. Um, or any kind of maybe even just an application to how you live your life or I will say that working with psychologists has given me much more confidence as a theologian it's given me more confidence 
that I have something to contribute to the academy that a discipline like psychology, which is really trendy and everyone thinks is important <laughs> actually could benefit from my discipline, which is definitely not trendy at the minute and not very many people outside of the church think is important. So that psychologists can benefit from partnering with me and that I can partner benefit from partnering with psychologists, just, just that we can work together and we can make progress together in both fields has massively increased my confidence in in myself and in my discipline. Do you want to say something about what made you care about like this language, human language project? No. I don't even know how to articulate what your project is about exactly, but maybe that yeah, can help okay. us get to some places. Yeah. So my project gets psychologists of language and theologians interested in language together to work together. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that was not just because I, I think that's been a bit neglected in the science engaged theology field, but also because uh, theologians have long argued that the way we talk about God is really important. But the way that they've argued for that has often been very philosophically abstract or mystical. But of course, there's all this research on the evolution of, of language, of what language is, and some really important pastoral issues for people who are minority language speakers or who do not develop in typical ways their language abilities. And they might be mute, they might be dyslexic, they might be autistic. And there's all sorts of variety in human language that I think this, that psychology really taps into and contrasts different because that's how often how psychology proceeds, contrasting different people groups to seeing what we can learn. Theology doesn't proceed like that. It generally thinks, how do humans speak about God? <laughs> rather than thinking about how different human groups will speak about God in different ways and then asking what can we learn about, about God and about humanity from paying attention to that. So I think this is just a really clear area with real immediate pastoral impact that psychology and theology can both benefit each other. The one pair that uh, I'm working with in my project, one psychologist and theologian, um, the psychologist looks at the relationship between language development and smell, which you might think, what in the world is theolo theologians going to say about that? Um, but the theologian has been reading her work, the psychologist's work, and just says there's so many interesting implications and questions for theology. But as part of the psychologist's work as well, she has um, was really looking at the way different cultures have different ability, you know, different words for smell and and the importance that has for their social world and for for everything in that society's life. Having lots of smell words as opposed to lots of visual words or lots of auditory words changes how you interact with one another, um, which you know has can have vast implications. And so she's been really leaning on the work of different historians and different anthropologists. And I think she was really excited to discover how much theology could also say about, about that, with often with specific relationship to religion and God, but obviously religion and God impact public life and social life complete, like in every level and every way. So a theologian's kind of big picture um, macro history of, of how Christianity has viewed different languages as having different worth and um, from looking at theologies of Pentecost and the Tower of Babel to the use of Latin in the Roman Catholic Church to um, colonialism, right? That the theologian's kind of 
big picture theology of language in that regard could have impact for how for a psychologist that's interested in how smell words impact our lives it just feels like they should be miles apart and it's been really exciting to see them build a project that has at least some overlap of course there's large parts of their work that won't overlap but the fact that they've found any overlap then they want to work together is really exciting that's really cool and interesting i like that yeah it was just such a like how are these two gonna get on (laughs) but now there's like okay now we got to narrow it down actually like there's could be yeah and everyone else is is it had a more clear overlap to begin with like like two like projects that are both interested in autism, theologies of autism and language and autism, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or projects that are both interested in aphasia. So looking at silence and aphasia and apophaticism on the theology side. And then, you know, that just makes much, it's just easier to see you're both interested in aphasia, you're both interested in autism. But I think it's even more exciting when you get projects that just look completely different, like smell and Pentecost. or something Um, and you're still finding constructive engaging ways that you can benefit from working together if you had your dream world what developments in science engaged theology what experiences yeah what what new developments would happen in the next in the coming years like what would you hope to see happen professionally, maybe either in your own life or just in the culture of academia or yeah, take that however you, however you want. I would love to see more cross-training opportunities for psychologists to come and hang out in theology departments and work with theologians. Because I think, and particularly maybe for younger psychologists, PhD students or postdocs, because I think just being around the people and making the friends and realizing the questions and the interesting stuff will just embeds the kind of when you stumble across something in your own work that's going to relate to theology, you, it's there's less of a barrier because you know some theologians and you can ask someone. And so I would like more <laughs> cross-training fellowships for psychologists to learn about theology. And I would like psychology labs. This is my dream world. So I want the psychologist to do all the changing, right? But um, I would like psychology labs to have like senior fellowship for a year for a theologian that makes sense. So that I could apply for because I would find that really fun (laughs) Um, rather than me always having to like, I'm sorry, this is really awkward. I'm a theologian. Will you talk to me? Um, for them to say, we have a space for a theologian and theologians compete for it um, as a senior fellowship for a year or semester or something. And ideally, people get teaching buyout for those as well. And I could just see that. And then you just attend the weekly seminar and you make the friends. And I think that would be awesome. Is there anything else unexpected that you came across when bringing together these interdisciplinary groups that if someone was thinking of doing something like this, that might help may help people trust each other uh, as they as they forge into doing the work. One thing that happened when we had psychologists and theologians in the room that was really interesting and unexpected was how some of the psychologists started opening up about their motivations for what they study and in so doing admitted that in a psychology pure psychology setting or in a psychology conference they would never have done that. So in particular 
opening up that they just want to make the world a better place and they want to help people with the various conditions that they study. And it's not purely intellectual curiosity, but there's a, a moral or a pastoral motivation going on. Maybe some psychologists are co- more comfortable with that than others. But I have seen this one or two times where they say, I would never say this if this was a, in a psychology conference, but really I just want to help people. And something about the theologians being in the room where that's often much more obviously on the table, this connection to the church, this pastoral motivation, and allowing the, the, the psychologists to explore that part of themselves and their motivation and their work seemed really beautiful and was just really surprising to me. That's really nice. And it probably then, it humanizes them in a way that creates deeper relationships for the collaboration that's going to go forward. Yeah. No collaboration without laughter, right? You've got to have laughter. I've got to have laughter, a little vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. All right, cool. That was great. And now we're going to take a little break to talk about another strategy that we summarize as get specific. That's another thing that Joanna really embodies well. She's not just talking about this general sense of science-engaged theology, but she's getting very specific with her research questions. It really helps the dialogue if we can get specific about what we're talking about. So here's a little more from Justin Barrett on that topic. One of our suggestions is for funding bodies to be very specific about what kind of engagements they're trying to promote between the human sciences or any other sciences and theology. So to get beyond, let's put science and theology in dialogue. Well, that's fine, but can we get more specific? Like, not just can we get human sciences and theology in dialogue, or how about psychological science? No, no, more specific. (laughs) Can we get more specific? Like, one of the things we have found is that it's easier for people's imagination when they're sort of coming up with good project ideas to think on the level of maybe even uh well what would developmental psychology have to say to uh about christian education or what does social psychology have to say about uh group decision making in the church or what does neuroscience have to say about meditative practices and spiritual disciplines See, we're getting to a layer on both the theological side and, if you will, on the the science side of specificity where the mappings are more obviously productive, interesting, and exciting instead of staying on this sort of vague programmatic level. So that's what we mean by getting specific when it comes to program areas or uh, funding priorities. So we've heard about inspiring integrative work, and we've heard about getting specific My conversation with Joanna and Justin's comments really flesh those out. But to get an idea of how the nuts and bolts of these conversations happen, I interviewed Rebecca Dorsey, who's Blueprint 1543's vice president, co-founder, and she's also a certified professional coach. She has become really an expert in facilitating these interdisciplinary conversations. And she worked very closely with Joanna to develop her project and to create the situations that would be the most fruitful and productive. Here's my talk with Rebecca to hear more. 
So I recently had the chance to get a group of scholars together who are working on a collaborative research project between theologians, philosophers, and psychology researchers. And I came in to essentially take this group of individual scholars and help them become a cohort that was going to work together to do a sort of collaborative project in pairs. So there were 12 individuals that were in six sets of two. Each pair then had some form of psychology researcher and some form of philosopher or theologian that were paired together. So the big setup was that we were going to take about three days to come together, get clarity on how we all align with and buy into the larger theme, and then what role does each individual play, and then what role do the pairs play together. So that was kind of the big picture of what we were trying to accomplish. And the goals were that we would leave our time together with each pair having a sense of the large kind of big picture idea for what their project would be and a sense of ownership and understanding of how working together was going to create something more expansive, more robust than they could create just working in isolation or in parallel. So my first goal coming in was how do I take this group of connected strangers and connect them as colleagues, as peers, and as, you know, being able to see each other as genuine human beings. I also knew that we needed to get alignment on this larger overarching theme. And so the first activity that I led off with was having the project leader for the whole thing list out what she felt the big overarching theme statement was and what her two main questions were. What were the questions that informed the creation of this theme? And we gave people a chance to just dream about the questions and then put them all up on the board. So we had, you know, 12 people up at the whiteboard writing their comments and themes. And we could then have this beautiful visual of all of the different types of questions that were coming out in this larger space. But then we could off the bat start to see where's their potential energy, enthusiasm, alignment, shared interest, and where are there things that maybe don't line up with everybody else, but could really add value as a way to think beyond just the current theme as it's envisioned. Then we needed to pull out of that and say, okay, how do we take these pairs who haven't done work together in most cases and help them identify what is the particular piece of this puzzle that they're going to take on and how does it actually make a difference that they're doing it in a pair? We had to sit there and go, okay, if you, O theologian, or you, O philosopher, we're going to work on your questions, the things that you just put up on the board on your own, what would that look like? Just absolutely in isolation. And then what would it look like if this partner, this research pair that you now have, was a part of your inquiry? How would that change the type of questions you're asking, the type of work that you're able to do? 
the kind of final big goal then for our time together was that we needed to actually get a background, you know, lay the foundation for a grant application. So submitting a large grant together with these six pairs and how do we make that larger grant make sense as all these different lines have been developed. And so we did some grant writing strategy and kind of talked through the particular methods of grant writing strategy that we find work in this collaborative environment. And we spent some time just wrestling with the actual specifics of an application and how do we take then these larger concepts that we've talked about and plug them into something very specific so that we can walk out of here with big picture clarity, pair alignment, and then kind of looping back into how this makes sense as a cohort and why these uh, this grouping of projects makes sense hanging together, again, instead of six teams submitting their own thing. What's the special, unique thing that's going to happen from putting everybody together in a cohort that couldn't happen if people were doing it on their own? Right. So we've seen this before. People want to do science-engaged theology of some sort. They get a Christian philosopher or a theologian paired up with a science-minded folks, and maybe they're both interested in something that sounds similar, um, forgiveness or human speech like this project. And they both individually just do their own projects. They do their own research. They make their own statements. They do their own analyses. And then at the end, sometimes folks just reverse engineer the connections. They go back and look and say, oh, look, there's maybe a point of connection, or maybe I could add a Bible verse here that connects with what you're saying. And the projects are really in parallel, as Rebecca said, and not really needing to happen together. The science isn't enriched by theological ideas, and the theology isn't really strengthened by the science being done. That's not what we wanted to see happen here. So then what ended up happening, as each team spent time, or each pair spent time wrestling through, well, here's what I can contribute, and here's how I think I'm going to add value, I started noticing that the scholars weren't able to get a vision for how working together was going to create something bigger, better, stronger, more robust than if they were just working in parallel. And it sort of hit me, okay, it's really hard sometimes to write your own stuff. It's almost easier to hear something about somebody else and write their website copy for them than to sit down and write your own. It's easier to write somebody else's, you know, best hits on their cover letter or, you know, what it is that makes them stand out. It's just easier. We're too close to it sometimes when it's about us. And so listening to some of the pairs really struggle to figure out how do we go from the individual contribution we have to this collaborative contribution. And so we just took time to go around the room and let each individual say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the questions I have. Here's the research inquiry that I want. Here's how I think this fits into the theme. And we had each individual say what they were thinking. And then people just began to start to see how the connections would work for other projects. And so they could say, hey, Sari, I'm hearing you talk. And as a theologian myself, here's what I think I'm hearing that could make your pair 
really create something special that our pair can't create because of your unique background, expertise, skills, interests, et cetera. And then the room started to build off of each other. This energy was just building the creativity that connections were building. And we just needed to pull in more brains and more voices to connect something that wasn't their thing. And we went around the room and we gave each pair a chance to share one scholar at a time. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking on the other side. And then everybody else can say, here's the connection that I see. And they can sort of go back and forth off each other until by the end of that brainstorming session, each pair was just begging for more time together. And so at that point, we could go back into the pairs and let them work and get into the details and dig deep. And you would see, you know, people up at the whiteboard or the blackboard just scribbling away and people typing as fast as they could because they finally had what they needed to get through that sticking point of, I don't know what it would look like to work with a insert the other discipline here. It's too hard to imagine because it's not a discipline I know. I can't brainstorm that way. And I'm kind of stuck in my own thinking because this is how I've been doing my lines of research my entire career. And so what really struck me when I was in that sort of part of the workshop was that we need, as communities, as research communities, we need to come together with clarity on our own interests, our own work. You know, we don't leave that at the door. We have to come in with that. But then to be able to share here are the things that I'm not sure about. And, you know, here's the the questions that I have and help each other find the connections and then give people a chance to go deeper. Awesome. Do you think that that experience will cause you to do anything differently when you convene in the future or you're facilitating meetings like this? Will you do more kind of group stuff or what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I definitely think this has influenced and will impact how I design these type of workshops moving forward. Because I think what stood out to me was the importance of people who are wanting to work across disciplines, but need help from their own discipline to speak into the ideas and the options. And we really got so much further faster. We got so much deeper than we would have gotten if we had stayed just in the pairs. And so I think finding ways moving forward to help scholars connect back to the familiar, connect back to their own people in that sense, but in a way that shines the light back on, and here's how that collaboration is going to be really interesting, or here's how that collaboration is going to do something that we can't do over here because of our questions. So in partnering with Joanna and convening this particular event at Leeds, what specific content questions and types of questions were they trying to get at through this time together? Yeah, so the larger theme was about God and human speech. And so how do we think about human speech in relation to theology and theological practices in particular, when you start thinking then about disabilities. And so how does human speech impact, uh, or how is that impacted by someone who, say, can't speak? What are the theological questions that play in? What are the theological practices then that need to be 
questioned, reviewed, tweaked. And then what can we learn from the psychology of that? Is there anything else you'd like to share for people who might be thinking about doing similar types of projects or events? Any closing thoughts? I mean, I think the only other thing that jumps out to me, and this is just sort of our approach as we design meetings and workshops, but I really was struck by the importance of the informal relationship development time that needed to happen before we could get to this help each other out with your research. We started with dinner. We started with a meal with intentional time together. And we also built into the first activities a way for people to get to know one another, not awkward trust games and not, you know, being overly vulnerable or spilling personal details, but just being able to connect as people first. And that, I think, is what laid the foundation for when we got into the people beating their head against the wall, being a little ready to give up on finding that collaborative way forward. It gave that needed social glue for people to actually help each other out and to say, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I don't see it. And to be able to admit, I don't see it. And I've been working in this integrative space for a while. Some people in the room had been doing this type of work for years. Others, this was their first time. But having that social capital first, I think allowed people to be honest and say, I don't see it. I don't know that it's here. I don't know that this is worth our time to continue trying to find ways to do it instead of we're just going to work in parallel. And at the end, we're going to kind of tie a few things together by referencing each other. And that just really struck me as the power of relationship, the power of being connected as real people first, and then going into the work bit and doing that all in very intentional, meaningful, and not awkward ways. Awesome. Yeah, that piece is really important, that being able to say, I don't know, (laughs) before you can do the good work. Yeah, I think the power of I don't know is what often is left out of these types of meetings because we're all trying to perform and prove that we're worth our chops and that we should be there. And that's then what keeps us from being able to make real progress. Thanks for listening. You can learn more on our website, blueprint1543.org or theologicalscientist.com. In Search of Theological Scientists was supported by a generous grant from the John Templeton Foundation. The views and opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of the John Templeton Foundation. Mm-hmm.